There are things in our lives that will wound us, but we don't have to let them cripple us. This message is entitled, Curing Our Crippledness. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, if you will, as we turn our attention to God's Word this weekend. We are going to share a one individual message as we bridge the gap between our last series that we just finished last weekend, the 10 uh, Lessons for a Life of Significance, and then, of course, starting next weekend, our Christmas series. I hope you'll be a part of that as we, we dive in together for four weeks talking about the gifts of Christmas. But I want to talk to you today about a passage that has become near and dear to my heart over the years and uh, I think will be meaningful to you today. I want to talk to you out of Luke chapter 13 in just a moment about curing your crippledness, curing your crippledness. One of the things I love about the Bible, so many things you can love, obviously, about God's Word. It's obviously, obviously His Word to us, and He ministers to us so wonderfully through it. But all through the pages of God's Word, you will find stories of people whose lives were changed by God, radically transformed by Him. I love those life change stories. Let me give you two examples of it, then we'll go to Luke chapter 13, where there's a great example of a lady whose life was changed radically by Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Jabez, and Jabez lived in a very difficult set of circumstances. We don't know everything about his circumstances, but we do know that it was a very painful environment in which he lived. And 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 describes a moment in Jabez's life when his life was radically changed by God. Listen to this passage. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez, notice this, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And read the last phrase there. What does it say? And God granted his request. Jabez was in an environment of great pain in his life. And in the midst of his pain, the Bible says that he cries out to God that God would bless him, enlarge his territory, and so many wonderful things he describes here in this very brief prayer, but nevertheless a very important prayer. And the Bible says that God granted his request. That day was a turning point for Jabez, as can be in your life today. Let me take you now to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. We have an, a lady who is not known in terms of her name, but we know and see a story of her life and how she has changed in a radical moment through the ministry of the apostle Paul. It happened that they were, as they were on their way to the place of prayer, by the way, this is in Philippi, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination that is a demonic spirit claiming to foretell the future and discover hidden knowledge. And she, and she brought her owners a good prophet by fortune telling. She followed Paul and, and us and kept screaming and shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for several days. Then Paul, being greatly annoyed and worn out, turned and said to the spirit inside her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ as his representative to come out of her. Read the last sentence with me. And it came out at that very moment. For Jabez, the Bible says that when Jabez prayed this prayer, that God granted his request. The Bible says here in Acts chapter 16, verse 18, that when Paul rebuked that spirit in this girl, that immediately the spirit left her and she was changed in that moment. I'm so glad that we serve a God who can change a life in a split second. It doesn't take forever for your life to be changed by God. God is the one that can step in and do amazing and wonderful things in your life. It doesn't mean that he will always do it that quickly, but he does do a process of healing and restoration when you and I call upon him. I want to take you now to the book of Luke, chapter 13, and let's look at another example, and this is where we will spend most of our time today, looking at another lady who had her life radically changed by Jesus. 
Luke 13, beginning in verse number 10. On a Sabbath. So when did this occur? On a Sabbath, it was the day of worship. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So here's Jesus, as would be his normal custom. He was always in the synagogue on Saturdays, on the Sabbath, and he was there preaching and teaching God's word in that particular synagogue. And a woman was there, that she was there in the service, who had been, notice this, crippled by a spirit. Say that phrase with me, crippled by a spirit. Once again, crippled by a spirit. For 18 years, think about this, 18 years, she's now been crippled by a spirit. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, after this miracle uh, transpired, the synagogue ruler sort of uh, got upset with Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath, one of those things that the Pharisees and religious leaders would often do, and Jesus responded back to the synagogue leader in verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a very important phrase as well, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what is bound her? And so here Jesus responds back to this religious person who is, who is contending with the fact that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. He's saying, why should she not, as a daughter of Abraham, receive her liberation on this Sabbath day? And so he closes down that argument that is, that is portrayed against him. It's a story of a very dear lady. Again, we don't know her name. We don't know a lot about her history. Her history. But what we do know about her is this. For 18 long years, she had a crippling condition. For almost two decades, she had not been able to look up. She was bent over. Her eyes went to the ground. She never looked up. She could not look at you face to face because of the condition that she was in. She could not see clearly where she was going. Most likely she had to have a guide that would guide her wherever she would go because again, she was bent over and could not look up. She could not see, had very limited vision. Although she had sight, she couldn't see because of her bent over condition, unable to stand up straight. And Luke gives us this record of this lady. It's interesting because Luke was a medical doctor. And you would think that if Luke would describe the condition of someone as being crippled, he would most likely say she was crippled by such and such a disease, or she was crippled by this particular accident. You would think that a medical doctor would describe her condition in physiological, physical terms or medical terms, but Luke understood that the condition this lady was in had nothing to do with anything physical, nothing do, to do with any kind of accident in her life. He, as a medical doctor, described her crippling effect in life as attributed to a spirit. She was crippled by a spirit. He understood that her problem was not physical. Her problem was spiritual. She was lacking in strength, lacking in ability, not able to stand up straight. And although she was a daughter of Abraham, one of God's children, she still was suffering in this condition. She was bound by a spirit. She was tied up and imprisoned and chained and arrested by the spirit. Her life had been impacted very negatively by the attributed, attributed factor here is a spirit, a dark spirit at work in her life. And on this Sabbath day, Jesus steps in and with an act of love and compassion and with his authority, he sets her free. He liberates her from this condition and everything changed for that lady that day, her long season of bondage, her long season of crippling, her weakness, her limitations were lifted that particular day. What does her story teach us. I want to share with you today four things that I've learned from this story that I hope will be helpful to you as well as you uh, go through your spiritual journey. 
The first thing is we need to be reminded of the fact that in our spiritual life, we are in a war. This lady had been crippled by a spirit, an evil spirit. And what we understand is this. We understand that there, there is an unseen world that we cannot see. Obviously, that's not visible to us with our natural ability, but nevertheless, the unseen world is very real. There's a kingdom of light represented by God's kingdom, his work in the world. There's a kingdom of darkness represented by satanic forces. That This story is first and foremost a story about spiritual warfare. It is a story about spiritual conflict. And we know that as Jesus goes through the cross and dies on the cross for our sins and rises from the grave, the Bible says that he conquers death, hell, and the grave. And yet even though Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, and indeed he is victorious, we still fight a battle. We still have to utilize the authority of Christ against the works of the adversary. We're still in warfare. And sadly, a lot of us as believers do not recognize that we are going through a battle. We can't see these forces. There's the kingdom of light at work with all the angelic forces of God. There's the kingdom of darkness with demonic elements associated with it. We can't see it with our natural eyes, but it is very, very real. And the scripture makes it clear that it's real. Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes and says, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, notice this, against the devil's schemes. Whose schemes? The devil's schemes. So if he's describing the devil's schemes, it means there is a devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Anybody have a struggle in your life right now? Well, the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul is describing this battleground, this spiritual enemy that we contend with. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So Paul says, I want you to learn how to fight successfully and victoriously in this battle. Jesus has conquered, but you and I have to exercise his authority in the midst of the battle to win the wars in our life. Again, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers in the dark realm. We are in a war. Peter reminds us of this as well, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of a sober mind, your enemy, and then he tells us who the enemy is, not people. Your enemy is the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So again, we're warned. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, for though we live in this world, the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Those strongholds represent evil intentions, evil works in the lives of people connected to the realm of darkness. We demolish arguments and every pretension that it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we are in a war. This does not mean, nor am I trying to tell you today, that you need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid, because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. But you need to understand that there's a battle between light and darkness. There's a battle between wholeness and brokenness. There's a battle that goes on in the world around us. And Luke made a point of telling us in this story, in Luke chapter 13, he made a point of telling us that Jesus ministered to a lady who had been crippled by an evil spirit. Satan had done a destructive work in her life. 
And many times it happens to us as well. And that's my second point. We're in a war, but we have to realize that there are wounded warriors all around us and likely woundedness in us. Anytime you hear of a war in the natural realm, you know that when war goes on, there are casualties, correct? And casualties represent those who are wounded in the warfare. And it's very interesting here in this story that while Jesus describes or Luke describes this lady having been crippled by an evil spirit, Jesus makes it clear to us and wants us to very clearly understand that even though she had been crippled by an evil spirit, she was still a daughter of Abraham. She was still one of God's children. This, this woman was a child of God. She was part of God's nation. She was a part of God's people. And nevertheless, even as a part of the family of God, a part of a worshiper in the synagogue, she had been crippled 18 years earlier Something had happened in her life. We don't know exactly what had happened. We don't know how old this lady was. It seems to indicate that she was in her more mature years, but we don't know for sure how old she was. But one thing we know is the Bible tells us that this had occurred in her life beginning at a point 18 years previously. And the question becomes, what what happened to her 18 years earlier that gave way to this crippling spirit in her life? How did the devil get an advantage in her life 18 years earlier? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what transpired, but it does tell us that in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her crippling condition, she was still a worshiper of God. And I'll come back to that in a moment because it's extremely important for us to understand today. And the truth is, in our lives, as we go through this battleground, we're in a war And when we're in this war with the evil forces of darkness and they target us in many different ways, there are times in our life when we can allow there to be an entry point of crippling effect in our life that Satan gets an advantage over us in some way. And when he gets an advantage over us in some way, it cripples us on the inside. There's not, not a single one of us that are immune to that possibility in life. And in fact, I would say that probably all of us here today have some area of life where we've been crippled in a certain manner. Because the Bible says of Satan, he's the one that comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came so we could have life and have it to the full. And so there's this crippling effect of Satan that works in our life to try to bend us over and keep us from functioning well and being the full person that Jesus wants us to be. And that's, that's something that happened to all of us. And so Jesus didn't condemn this lady. Jesus helped this lady, correct? And so if Jesus helped her, do you think Jesus is willing to help you? Of course he is. But it starts with us recognizing our need, recognizing our crippling condition in life. And sometimes we're crippled in life by a variety of things. Let me talk to you about some possibilities in life. I don't know what's happened to you. All of us have our different life experiences. But there are things that can occur that that the devil uses against us in certain ways that can actually cripple our effectiveness for God. Sometimes there's a hurt that happens in your life. I've known many people who've gotten hurt by something and they never got over their hurt. And that hurt became a crippling part of their life. They never got past it because they were wounded on the inside. They never processed that pain and got beyond that pain so they could be the full person that Jesus wanted them to be. For some people, it's a, it's a disappointment, a very dominating disappointment that happened in their life. They'd hoped that something would happen in a certain way and things didn't turn out the way that they'd hoped and they got this deep disappointment in their soul and that disappointment became something in their system that that has crippled them, caused them to lose their capacity or willingness to put their hope or their trust in God. So it might be a hurt, it might be a disappointment. 
It might be shame and condemnation. There are a lot of people as we go through life, we make our mistakes along the journey and the devil loves to jump on your back and heap shame upon your life and condemnation upon your life. And these, these are known as the accusations of the enemy. The Bible says in Romans, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12, how the enemy is the accuser of the brethren and so we make a mistake and the devil jumps on us and tells us you'll never get past that. He begins to heap shame and condemnation upon our lives. That's what we remember. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through me. And so the adversary is the, is the accuser, and he heaps shame and guilt upon our lives that's unnecessary and, and, and very crippling to us. It might be anger in your life. Maybe you've gotten angry about something, and maybe you have a spirit of unforgiveness and a spirit of bitterness in your heart about something. The Bible says that when that spirit of bitterness, that attitude of bitterness and hurt and revenge happens in your life, it does you no good. You're actually giving a place to the adversary, Ephesians 4 tells us. And so it might be that very thing. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's your hurt. Maybe it's a disappointment. Maybe it's shame and condemnation. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's worry and fear that's gotten a link in your life, and somehow that worry and fear is crippling you from being everything that you are called by God to be. But here was this lady in the synagogue that day, and she was a daughter of Abraham. She was a child of God, but nevertheless, she was crippled. She had been crippled by a spirit. A spirit had found access into her life and had, yes, it had done a physical work upon her, but I believe more, more significantly had done a crippling work upon her soul. And when these things that I've just described, as I said, it might be hurt, it might be a disappointment, it might be a shame, a sense of guilt and condemnation that you can't seem to shake, it might be anger and bitterness that you have towards someone or something, it might be worry and fear that's found its way into your life. I don't know what has found access into your life, but these kind of things cripple people. Keep them from their full potential in God. They press people with their eyes to the ground and they can't look up and see their future because of these things weighing upon them. And I will tell you this, if the devil can't kill you, he'll certainly try to cripple you. He'll try to cripple you because when he cripples you, he's hindering you ineffective or less effective for the purposes for which God created you. And they're wounded warriors, just like this lady was. She was a precious wounded warrior and she was in the house of God and there are wounded warriors all around us, and more than likely, there's some woundedness in every one of us. It's extremely important in our spiritual growth that we're not always just thinking about what's broken in somebody else, but to think about what's broken in me. Amen? Because only when you allow God to heal you of your brokenness can you be effective in helping heal the brokenness of others, right? The third point I want to share with you is, is really the key point today, and I'll add another one on in just a moment, sort of as a, as a capstone to it, but here's the one I want you to get. Very important. Worship is the way that wounded warriors are healed. Are you hearing me this morning? Worship is the way that wounded warriors are healed. There's a part of the story of this lady in the synagogue that day when Jesus shows up that you, 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 it's easy to overlook, but it's critical to the story. It's a very important part. Go with me back to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. Let's listen to it closely once again. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So where is Jesus again? He is in the synagogue and he's teaching. And a woman was... I mean, she was present. Where was she present? In the synagogue. She went to church that weekend. 
And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Again, verse 16 says, then should not a woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Not only was this lady a daughter of Abraham, but she was a worshiping daughter of Abraham. She was crippled, but she was still worshiping. Let me say that again. She was crippled, but she was still worshiping. And I believe that one of the reasons that this lady caught Jesus' attention that day is that even though she was crippled, she was still doing what she could do. She was still doing what? She was still worshiping. Where do you find her on the Sabbath day? You find her in the synagogue. And I don't believe that this was just a one-time occurrence for her. I believe that ever since that situation had happened in her life, and more than likely even previous to that situation, for 18 years, every Sabbath day, if you wanted to find the lady who's crippled and been over on the Sabbath, you would go to the synagogue, and there she would be worshiping. I don't know, I haven't done the math, but you just multiply 18 times 52, and that's, that's, that's the number of weekends that more than likely she's now been in the synagogue. She's been doing this for 18 years, but every Sabbath, where would you find this crippled lady, crippled by a spirit? She was still in the house of God, and she was still worshiping, but one day her Sabbath came. One day her victory came. One day everything changed for her because there was a day that Jesus showed up in the synagogue where she was and she was there worshiping as she, as she usually did. And in the midst of her worship, Jesus saw her and Jesus called her forward. Maybe she was sitting on the back row of the synagogue and Jesus saw, he saw lots of people, but he really saw her that day. He saw a worshiper in the synagogue and he called her forward. Because more than likely, she was hiding in the back. She did not feel comfortable and a sense of worth about herself. I'm sure she felt very self-conscious about her condition. But Jesus said, hey, lady, I'm going to stop my message for a moment. I want you to come right up here. Come on up to the front. I want to, I want to bring attention to you because something's about to happen to you. And Jesus spoke to her and Jesus and put his hands on her. And he drove that spirit out of her. And that day was her healing day. But her healing happened because she was a worshiper. Dear ones, are you hearing what God is saying to us today? God says to all, all of us, reminds us it's so easy to get crippled by the adversary, but the way to be healed from your crippledness is to be a true worshiper of God. Worship brings healing. I've given you some notes there that I want to cover very quickly for you. Four things that you'll see here. The value of worship, even when you're wounded, it's important to keep on worshiping. Because when you worship, you attract Jesus' attention. Every worshiper attracts the attention of Jesus. When we worship, we're drawn forward to, to new hope and new possibilities and a new future. That's exactly what happened to that lady. She was, she was drawn forward. Jesus, the Bible very specifically says, Jesus called her forward. See, Jesus is always calling people forward. He's never pushing you backward. See, people will push you back, but Jesus calls you forward. And so when you worship, you attract Jesus' attention. When you worship, you're drawn forward to new hope and new possibilities and new future. When you worship, you begin to hear truth that frees you from the lies that abound you. 
That's why we have a worship time before the preaching of God's word, because it's a time to tune up, to tune up your heart, to get your heart in sync with God so that when the word of God is preached, that you're ready to receive the truth and ready to let the truth break through all the stuff that you've gone through during the week and all the kind of things that have filtered into your mind. So that worship is the preparation moment to get you ready for the word. And then when we worship, we experience the presence of God. We experience his touch in ways that strengthen us, in ways that straighten us up. See, we need to be people who worship. It was worship that day that attracted Jesus' attention that caused this crippled lady who was a daughter of Abraham to find her liberation. Last point I'll share with you this morning, and it's a very important point as well, and that's healed worshipers help heal wounded warriors. Or healed warriors, I should say, help heal wounded warriors. Let me talk to you as, as, as I see and understand ministry for a moment, everybody is broken, correct? Everybody's broken. There's not a single person who's completely whole. Everybody's broken. That's, that's the beginning premise to understand ministry. If you don't understand everybody's broken, you'll never be well at ministry because you will, you will not minister out of compassion. And so everybody's broken. That means we all have places in our life where we need the healing grace and power of Jesus, the saving grace and power of Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners, right? He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we start all at the same place. I don't care what socioeconomic status you're in. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments you had in life. We all have to start with Jesus at the foot of the cross, right? We all have to come to Jesus as broken, sinful people, and so that's where ministry begins. So ministry can never happen in your life. By the way, what I mean by ministry is you being used by God to help somebody else. You want to be used by God to help somebody else, do you? Okay, I do. And so we start with this fact that I am, you are, we all are broken people, that we all come to the grace of God the same way. No matter who and what we are, we come by the cross of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. So that's where we come. We start with that process of letting Jesus do his work in us. And by the way, the work of Jesus in us is not a one-time fix-it-all kind of thing. Jesus is working on you until you go to heaven. He's working on you. I've been a Christian for, my goodness, I don't, almost 50 years now at least. Uh, maybe longer. I can't even do the math on that. I've been a Christian a long time. Just, just, and just turn to your neighbor and say, he's old. Go ahead and tell him he is old. All right, But I will tell you that Jesus is still working on me. Is Jesus still working on you? So there's this process of Jesus continuing to work on our lives over the years. And so the more he works on us, the more his grace begins to be a part of our lives. Because he he heals us, he restores us. Anything that God does in you, he does not because you're a great person. He does it because of his grace. So it's the grace work of Jesus in your life. Just like the grace of Jesus touched this crippled person in the same way, Jesus touches the crippled places of our life and he begins to make us whole. And I'm glad to say I'm not as crippled as I used to be. Amen? And so that's the walking with Jesus. So his grace does something in me. And so I can't take credit for it. I don't fix myself. Jesus saves me. Jesus gives me grace. Jesus does his work in me. It is the grace of Jesus that transforms my life. And so I don't take any credit. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do anything. We need the grace of God, right? So now that I've received grace, the more of the grace I receive, the more grace now I'm obligated to do what? To Give, okay, that's the way it works. Freely you've received, freely 
give. That's just the way ministry operates. And so effective ministry, if you want to be effective in ministry, you have to receive grace by acknowledging the needs that you have in your life. And then as Jesus begins to work in you, then that grace begins to, you begin to allow it to flow through you so that as he is healing you, you become a healer to people around you. Jesus needs a lot of healers in this world. Do you know that? Okay. And you can't do it. Listen, I can't heal anybody, okay? But Jesus' work and Jesus' grace in me can be extended through me to help heal the world around me, correct? We've been talking about that. That's what significance is. It's about letting Jesus do something through you that affects the world around you. And so as Jesus heals us, he then commissions us to go into the world and help heal other people. Not by our strength or grace, not by our, our strength or power, but by his grace. And so it's vital that we understand this. Now, this is what I believe happened for this lady. And I want to share with you some things that will help you to understand how this process, how this, how this, this aspect works in our life. And I'm going to give you four things that go uh, as the final point of today's message that will help us to see uh, how we trans are transformed from being healed from our woundedness to being healers in God's grace to people around us. Anybody want that in your life? We all do, correct? The first thing that's necessary is you and I have to see people, not programs, processes, and procedures with people. Let me explain what I mean by that. Very important. So often, we look at the world and we look at people through the eyes of fixing them. You ever tried to fix somebody before? Have you? Anybody ever tried to fix another person? Okay. Come on. Are you, you didn't have that much turkey this weekend. Come on, help me out, okay? <laughs> have you ever tried to fix another person? You ever tried to fix your husband, fix your wife, fix your friend, fix somebody at work, trying to fix them, okay? And so you go to work on them. You know exactly what needs to be done in them. And you pull your, your, your emotional hammers out, your tools out, your, your screwdrivers out, and you're tweaking them here and trying to tweak them there and trying to change them, trying to fix them in every way. Anybody ever really been successful at doing that? No, we haven't. Because when we do that, we're looking at people as projects instead of looking at people as objects of God's love. And if you're going to be a healer to other people, you can't take on people as projects. You've got to look at people as objects of the love of God. And I'm going to be more effective with you and you and you and helping you grow in your faith if I'm, if I'm viewing you as one of God's children, one of the people that God loves, and I'm not trying to fix you. I'm trying to help you connect with the Savior who can redeem your life. Amen? So one of the things we have to do in our life, and this is something that we have to continue to learn. My goodness, if I had to work on this lesson in my life over and over again and continue to have to work on this lesson in my life, I cannot fix anybody. Only Jesus can fix people, okay? But I can love people to Jesus in such a way that Jesus is then able to fix them in their life. And that's how healing happens when you and I change that perspective. The second thing is you've got to call people forward to their future. You know, I think probably some of you here today have some people in your life that's always, they're always pushing you back into your past. Anybody have some people like that? Always trying to tell you what you can't do and how bad you are and the mistakes you've made in your journey. And so there's always enough, the devil always puts enough of those people in your path, right? But those aren't the voices that move you forward to effectiveness. You, you want voices in your life that are calling you forward to a new future. And so if we're going to be helpful to people around us, we can't see them as people to fix, but we have to see them as objects of God's love. And then we have to take the very same stance with them as Jesus does. We're not pushing them back. We're calling them what? Forward. I see what God can do in your life. 
So I look out in this room this morning and across our campuses, uh, in every campus this morning, and I see people that are full of potential. I see people that are full of possibilities. You are full of potential. You're full of possibilities. I'm going to say this to you, but I want you to know that I really believe it when I say it to you. I believe that your best is yet to come. That your best is not behind you. I believe that your best is yet to come. See, that's how the scripture, it calls us to hope. It calls us to move forward into our future. So real healers are people who call people forward to their future. Thirdly, real healers are people who speak life-giving truth to other people. Life-giving truth. Life-giving truth is truth that really creates life in another person. Creates, again, that sense of possibility, and then they know how to connect with people relationally. They learn how to learn the fact that relationships is what brings healing in people's lives. So what am I saying to us today? I'm saying this. I'm going to come to a point of ministry in just a moment, because I felt like this weekend was a point for you in your life today, as we get ready to move into Christmas, but I believe there's a, a key point for your life today. Here was a lady in the synagogue during Jesus' time who was crippled. Something had happened in her life that had crippled her spirit, that had crippled her on the inside, and it manifested itself in crippledness externally. And there are people in this room today that you've been crippled by something in your life, and today is your day. You came to church, and Jesus is here. He's ready to help you with your crippledness. And it might be that as you look back over your life experiences, maybe it was a hurt that you'd never gotten over. Maybe it was a disappointment that you never really processed well. Maybe it's some shame and condemnation you're still carrying in your life about something that happened in your past. Maybe it's anger and bitterness that you have toward something or someone that you haven't let go of yet. Maybe it's worry and fear that gotten a hold of you and it's crippling your life and having a crippling effect upon you. But you're in the house of God today and Jesus is here, okay? And the same way that Jesus called that lady forward and that day she was set free from her crippled condition, Jesus wants to set you free from crippledness today. It will not all happen today because I promise you all of us are crippled in far more ways than we even know, okay? We're all crippled in ways we don't even realize at times. And so in our journey, this is going to be a stop in the journey where Jesus heals us so that he can use us more effectively to heal people around us. I want to be on that journey. How about you? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Every, everyone with their heads bowed and eyes closed. I believe this is a Jesus day today. I know it is. I know he cares about you. He cares deeply about the stuff in your life that might have been crippling you in recent days and months and years like this lady. She'd had this problem for 18 years. Maybe your problem isn't going on that long. But Jesus is here today. I'm going to have a point of ministry. I want all the campuses to stay with me right through this time. Even though I'm not going to be able to see everybody, I want you to be a part of this as well. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. This is a private moment. If you would say, you know, pastor, today as you were ministering this message, I realize that there's something in my life that's gotten a hold on me. And I'm not as effective as I need to be because I've been crippled by that. Maybe it was a hurt. Maybe it was, again, a disappointment. Maybe it was a, a sense of shame or guilt in your life. Maybe it was a bitterness that you have towards someone, an anger that you have in your heart that you haven't worked through and let go of yet. Maybe it's the entrance of worry and fear that you've let into your life, but there's something that's been crippling you that you're aware of today. You know that you're not your best for God because this thing has affected your life and you want Jesus. You're inviting Jesus today to come in and touch that area of your life and begin to make you whole. 
I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask if that's you this morning. Would you just, without any hesitation, without any worry or fear of what anybody else might think, because we're all here in God's house this morning, all his children. No condemnation here. It's a safe place to respond. But if you say, I need, I know there's a place of crippledness in my life that I need some healing in that area. I'm asking Jesus to help me in that area today. Would you just lift your hand to the Lord right now? Just all across this worship center, just lift your hand to God right where you are. And this is your moment of re- You might even want to lift both those hands to God as we pray, whatever you'd like to do, but just let this be your moment of responding to God today. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you know every crippled condition here today, in every broken place, every part of our hearts and lives where we need to be mended. And Lord, we're so grateful this morning for the fact that you love us with a love that goes beyond anything that we can imagine. We want to thank you today, Lord, that you... You touched that lady in that synagogue that day. 18 years she'd been crippled by this condition. But Lord, that day you found her and that day you set her free and that day you liberated her life. And Lord, here in this this place this morning and all these worship centers as we gathered, I pray that you would come and do the same for us as you did for this lady. I'm asking, Lord, that places where we've been crippled by whatever it might have been, where the adversary got a place in our life and worked destructive elements, I pray that in this moment, Lord, you would liberate, you'd begin to free, you'd begin to help us to stand up straight again. And Father, I pray that as you cause us to stand up straight, that you give us strength in our lives, I pray, God, that you'll also help us now to take out of our woundedness the ability to minister your grace to other people. Lord, let your healing flow to us and let your healing flow through us. And Lord, thank you. We even thank you in advance for what you're going to do. For some today, it'll be an instantaneous deliverance. Something will happen in their life. They'll never be the same for others. It'll happen in a process. But Lord, whatever way you choose to do it, we're okay with it, God. We're trusting you for total healing in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new, and that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. 
And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 